Here we go. The Gospel of John, chapter 10, verses 1 to 21. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him, the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him. For they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him. For they do not know the voice of strangers. This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. So Jesus again said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father and I lay down my life for the sheep and I have other sheep that are not of this fold, I must bring them also and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. For this reason the Father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. There was again a division among the Jews because of these words. Many of them said, He is a demon, and his name, and, and he is insane. Why, why are we listening to him? And others said, These are not the words of one who is oppressed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Old Jesus stirred things up, didn't he? He definitely had them a little bit wild, you might say. In the chapter that precedes what we just read, there's a certain man who was born blind, and he came to Jesus asking to be healed. And Jesus healed him and sent him to the Pharisees to bear witness to what had happened. He was actually inviting the man to follow the law and the scriptural procedures that were supposed to be associated with such a healing. In this way, it would be verified and affirmed inside or within the, the confines of the law of Moses. But eventually a confrontation arises because they sent the man back. They told him that, you know, they couldn't deny that he had been blind and now he could see, but they told him that this crackpot that healed him was a servant of the devil. And so Jesus confronted them 
after hearing this report, and he said, do you believe, or yeah, at first he asked the blind man, I want to get to that first, I'm sorry. He asked the blind man, do you believe in the Son of Man? And he answered, and who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? Jesus said, you have seen him, and it is he who is speaking to you. To which the blind man says, Lord, I believe, and he worshiped Jesus. Now, this is important because Jesus refers to himself as the Son of Man, which is sort of his code word for, I'm God, but I was born of flesh. So he's, he's, this is a phrase he uses to describe himself all the time, and that's kind of what he means by it. And so when he says to, to the man, this is, this is the guy you're talking to, the man understands what he means. He understands he is in the presence of the Messiah. He is in the presence of God made flesh and the one that Israel has waited for, for all those generations. And so then he says to the blind man and everyone else listening, for judgment I came into this world, that those who do not see may see. And those who see may become blind. Now, some of the Pharisees near him heard these things and said to him, And are we blind? Jesus said to them, If you were blind... You would have no guilt, but now that you see, say, we see, your guilt remains. Let's just stop and look at that for a quick second. We could sum this up in a very familiar phrase, and it's one that I found myself using a lot over the last 25 or 30 years. It's the saying, there are none so blind as those who will not see. None so deaf as those who will not hear. Now, Ironically, the people to whom those sayings most apply don't get it because they didn't see it and they didn't hear it coming anyway. So ironically, what Jesus is saying to them is, you teach the law, I sent him to you to fulfill the law, and he stood in front of you and said, the Holy One of God, basically, they don't, he, he isn't clear on all this, but he's basically telling them something they should have recognized immediately, that the Holy One of God healed him. And because they are so sure that they know who the Messiah should be and what the Messiah should look like, that they decide this is not him. I, it's one of the oldest plot twists in literature. How many episodes of your favorite show do we, especially some sort of uh, fantasy drama kind of thing, sooner or later there's some instance on a television show or in a book where someone is thought to be the person that everyone knows but he fools a lot of people because he's got all emotions down and everything. And yet, in the end, it's something really intimate that gives him away, right? You've seen this plot twist over and over again. There's an old saying that goes back way before my time that there are basically seven plots or seven basic plots, and they're all in the Bible. And so anything you watch in popular literature or television or movies or whatever, they're following plots that have already been used in the Bible many times. So you can always find a Bible parallel when you're reading or watching entertainment type of stuff. So let us be clear. He's telling them that while they seem to be able to see, they are blind. 
They're blinded by what? Their pride, right? They're blinded by their pride. They're so sure they're right that they can't see any other option. They can't see any other perspective. Some people are so sure they're right about many things, or other things anyway, that no matter how much you can tell them uh, and reason with them, they simply aren't going to commit their pride to having their mind changed. And there is the essence of sin. So we can assume that this man who was healed is one of the sheep who hears the master's voice, the shepherd's voice, and he got expelled from the synagogue. And we can assume that the Pharisees and the religious leaders that threw him out were the ones who didn't hear. Jesus has given us several ways in this passage that we just read to identify him clearly so that we know him when we hear him and see him at work. Jesus doesn't want us to suffer with conflict and confusion over who he is. And so he makes it very clear. A sign that the children's sermon was the best sort of children's sermon, it can be seen in the fact that they've already told you what I'm preaching about today. Those are the best children's sermons, well done. And if you didn't catch it there, I'll give you a more verbose version of it now. First thing he says is that the shepherd enters through the gate. Think about fences, for example. Some of you have fences around your yard. Fences around places where you keep livestock. Most of you, if you don't have fences, you have some sort of boundaries around your private spaces, your personal places, and there are proper ways to enter and exit, and they are situated as they are for particular reasons, right? You put a gate on the fence around your yard where it's convenient for you and where you feel that it makes the most sense. Therefore, why would anyone go over the fence at some other location and not use the gate? They're motivated by not using what you consider the best way to enter and exit. So think about it. They're trying to get around your guideline or your border or your boundary. They're trying to work a way into your space for a particular reason that doesn't line up with where you put the gate. So you understand why Jesus is saying that anybody who comes from any other direction than the gate shouldn't be trusted. Because if anybody comes to you and they aren't speaking of Jesus as Lord and Savior, Savior and Lord is a better way to put that. But anyway, they are the ones that you can trust that they're taking you toward the right thing. This, is whole, this whole thing, this church business we do, is all about Jesus Christ, the resurrected, ruling Savior and Lord. This is, this is what it's about. And to proclaim that this is about anything else is to go through some other means than the gate. It's to go over the fence at some other location. 
And so what he wants us to understand is that it's really not complicated. And this isn't because he's vain or anything else. It's because he's the good shepherd. He's saying to you, I want you to be safe. I want you to, to know the truth that sets you free. I want you to be with me for all eternity. Don't risk going any other way. Go through the gate. Okay? It's love that makes our Lord tell us that he's the gate. He's the way. He's the one. Next thing he says is that he will be known by the gatekeeper. That the gatekeeper will recognize him and open the door for him, or the gate. And when he says that, what he wants you to understand is, is that he has been announced. Okay? It's been made clear that he's the one. Now, this is where a lot of non-Christians or a lot of marginal Christians and atheists in particular always seem to get sideways with the Bible. They don't understand that much of what we do in faith is informed by prophecy. Okay? And remember that in the Bible, prophecy isn't the same thing as fortune-telling. It's not like those uh, predictions that you see on the magazines at the checkout counter or on late-night TV shows where you can call a psychic and that. This is not the same thing at all. Prophecy in the Bible is God foretelling the circumstances and the details of something so that we will know it when we see it. In other words, God is sending us a letter of, rec of, of uh, recognition. I just went blank on the word I wanted to say. He's, he's sending a reference letter ahead of time. You know what I mean? He's, th this was very common back in the old days when people pretty much stayed where they were and didn't travel to the extent that we do now. When a stranger showed up in town, everybody knew there was a stranger in town, and they would come with a letter of reference from someone who was trustworthy that would say, this is somebody you can trust, I know them, this is how I know them, this is why, you know, you can, you know that happened by them looking at the Weinbergs and I'm looking at John Gallagher, you know that's how we ended up with John Gallagher on our staff, here's this kid from Quincy, Illinois. Why in the world would we trust him? We have no reason to know him or trust him, but people we know and trust who knew him before gave him a reference. And so for that reason, we recognized him as someone that could be a vital part of what we're doing here. And so this is what that means. Prophecy is a reference letter from God saying, you want to know for sure that you're hearing the Messiah? Here's how you'll know. And one of the things that God told us was that he would be announced by the gatekeeper. And so we can surmise that John the Baptist was fulfilling prophecy by demonstrating to us that he was not here to proclaim the message, but to proclaim the one who brought the message, the good news. And for this reason, we think that Jesus is referring to the gatekeepers as those who announced his coming. And because he fills all of the boxes that they told us to look for, we know this is really him. And here's some good news. That's also how we'll know him now and when he comes in the future in a physical way. So the gatekeeper 
announces him, and this we call prophecy, in particular the prophecy of John, the one who heralds the coming of the Messiah. Now, here's the next thing Jesus tells us. He says that his sheep will know his voice. Now, I confess, I don't know what Jesus' physical voice sounded like on earth. When he was here, he spoke to people that they actually heard what his voice sounded like. I can't say that, but what we can say for sure is, is that we know the kinds of things he says and the kinds of things he doesn't say. If you have pets or livestock, you understand this. Because your pets know your voice. And when you speak, they listen. And they know whether they have the intellectual capacity to interpret your words and carry on a conversation with you. We can have that debate at, at coffee. But, but one thing I'm sure of is they know the tone. They know the meaning of certain things you say. And they respond accordingly. And if a stranger comes into your house or into your livestock pen and starts talking to them, they either ignore them or they are afraid and run away. But they don't hear the voice of someone they don't know. Now, Jesus is described in John's gospel at the beginning as the word or the very manifestation of the heart and mind of God, the Logos. And he makes it clear then in John's gospel then that we can expect to know the voice of Jesus because it's the very heart and mind of God being expressed to us. So when Jesus says, my sheep know my voice, when they hear my voice, they recognize it and they listen. That is a challenge to us to know what he says and what he doesn't say. So I can't tell you what his voice sounds like, but I can tell you what he says and what he doesn't say. Here's an exercise you can practice this afternoon if you like. And I'll grant you that not everyone has a red letter Bible, but if you have one or you want to look one up on your phone or something, this will be a lot easier. If you'll just open the Gospels, and turn to all the red-lettered text in your Bible. That would be the words of Jesus. A red-letter Bible puts the words of Jesus in red text. And if you open a red-letter Bible and read all the red ink, which won't take you very long, you'll be very familiar with the kinds of things Jesus says. And then if some crackpot pastor steps up into the pulpit and says some strange and mysterious thing and attributes it to Jesus, you can say, stop. I know my Jesus and that's not the sort of thing he would say. I'm going to dare say that some of the debate and argument that's going on in the community called the United Methodist Church and a lot of other things could come down to a discussion of whether or not people are really familiar with the voice of the Good Shepherd. It'll come down to how well you know what Jesus says and what Jesus doesn't say. And I'm not taking sides, I'm just saying it really does boil down to how faithfully we are following the shepherd and how well we know the voice of the shepherd. And at this point in human history, the only really reliable thing I can point you to is the scriptures. And as you read the entire Bible, you begin to see the continuity between the voice of Adonai, God the Father in the Old Testament, and the voice of Jesus, the Messiah in the New Testament, and you begin to correlate that they are always saying the same things. 
that, that Jesus fulfills prophecy in a really fundamental way that's not exactly proclaimed in detail, like where he's going to be born, that kind of thing. But yet he fulfills the fundamental truth because he never says anything that contradicts Adonai, God the Father. He always says and elaborates on the way, the truth, and the life. He says, I didn't come to change the law, I came to fulfill the law. In other words, he came to be the good shepherd. And this is the last thing that he tells us, and this is so important. He says that he will lead his sheep out. And how do we know why that's so important? Well, because there's a, a sort of contradictory phrase that, that is used to describe Jesus. He is both the shepherd and the sheep or the lamb. He's in, in, in the book of Revelation, for example, he's always referred to as the lamb. And when he says that the shepherd will lay down his life for the sheep, what he means literally is, is that he will take the sheep's place on the altar of sacrifice. He will literally take the sheep's place on the altar of sacrifice and bear upon himself the sin that he does not have in and of himself, but for us. And so Jesus, the good shepherd, says, I will lay down my life for the sheep. And he literally means that he's going to take the place of the sheep as being the sacrifice or the, the redemption that comes through the blood and the flesh of the lamb. So Jesus plainly identifies himself then as the good shepherd, and he expects us to recognize him. And he gives us these very specific tools to recognize him by. He tells us that anybody else is a false teacher, not a good shepherd. And you have a right to hold me accountable to these requirements that Jesus has just put before you. Me and anyone else who would dare to stand in front of you and hopefully with humility, preach God's word. You have a right and you, you have a, actually an expectation. You're not really being as faithful to the good shepherd as he would like unless you do hold what comes out of my mouth and the mouths of your Sunday school teachers and companions and the people around you. You have a responsibility to learn the voice of the shepherd and to choose carefully what to believe and what to follow and what to listen to. You are accountable in the end for what you did with what you heard. And that I can't do anything about, but I can tell you that Jesus holds me to a higher standard on his day of judgment, the believer's judgment. And so what I'm asking you to do is answer the question that we asked last week, who do you say I am? Jesus asked this of the apostles. Well, if you've come to know him and recognize him, you'll be able to do that without difficulty. You'll be able to say who he is. But if you're still not sure, then we're all here to, to work on that together. We're all here to learn the sound of his voice, the things he says, the things he does not say. 
We look for him not only one day to lead us out of the sheep pen and into the green pastures and by the still waters, but as I personally believe one day to lead us right on into paradise and right on to a great feast. And I then intend to work with all of my energy for the remainder of my days at knowing the master's voice. And I challenge you to do the same. Let us pray. Thank you, God, for your word. Now burn it upon our hearts. Help us to really know your heart and mind and therefore to recognize our good shepherd's voice. Help us to be diligent in this effort beginning right now, we pray. Amen.